Hello, welcome to the Wasting Time podcast. We have been away for ages. It's good to be back. How's it going, Nick? I'm good, mate. Yeah. How long has it been? I just feel like it's a while, been a while. To be fair. So, yeah, this is the biggest gap we've had for a long time, I think, because the last episode was what the the lo- what was the last episode it was Grade Two, and I recorded that with Jack and Sid, maybe two weeks before the Social Distortion tour. So <laughs> that feels like a very long time ago now. Right. Well, there you go. Yeah, I guess you know we've had our fill of each other though in between in between that time we not have. in the podcast um well but yeah i just had enough of you mate just yeah understandable you know, understandable there's only so much i can take <laughs> but no it's a good um i guess we should talk about that then in terms of um, our time in hamburg with social d and love breakers and grade two all new friends of ours i guess yeah, yeah. well well with, with the exception some of love breakers so others. who we've known for a while yeah, good good weekend. Very good weekend. Yeah, it was it was amazing. So so yeah, as Nick says, him and I and my wife made it out to uh the Hamburg show of, of the Social Distortion Tour, which was at Hamburg Arena. Um which was later, amazing. Later than expected. <laughs> a missed flight and a, a standby <laughs> flight to Bremen. <laughs> yeah, we had quite quite the uh, eventful trip out there. Um because uh, yeah, we I guess we left it a little late going to to the airport. Missed our oh, flight. Oh yeah, you had to say that, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> I, I said I we. I said we. I could have pointed <laughs> fingers. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then we managed to get on a standby flight, not knowing if we were allowed on the flight uh, to Bremen. Alternatively, and um, we made it on. We made it out there, but yeah, that was that was looking a little hairy for a minute there. Yeah, big up to um, the German. Um, rail rail system, <laughs> yeah, to, very uh, That got us from Bremen to Hamburg yeah. in an hour and a bit. Yeah, uh, but we got there, man. Yeah, it was, a, it was a good night. It was good to see, um, you know, one of these arena shows behind the scenes as well. Yeah, I definitely. guess you'd already experienced some of that, but um, yeah, I'd never never experienced that at, a, at that scale. Yeah, no, it's been it's been great, and it's been like obviously amazing to see the love breakers in that environment and how well they did and everything but um yeah it's good to spend more time with grade two and uh also get to know social distortion that was pretty surreal i guess i guess we were quite lucky as well in the sense that um they had to call off the shows a couple of shows after hamburg didn't That's they because right, yeah. nest lost his voice so i mean we might have got all the way to Hamburg and uh the, you know the same decision might have been made oh god yeah we Although were very it does, close to that i mean it does feel like that was a like a big show to cancel Hamburg. It was it was a big, yeah. big uh, venue, and there was loads of people. There was a you know an awesome crowd. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they would have been reluctant to pull that one. They would have done everything they could. And to be fair, he sounded fucking mental. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. Like you, you couldn't really tell he was losing his voice. He like he managed. <laughs> he did. He did. Yeah, but, uh, I wonder if we, wonder if we could get him on this show one day. That now that I think that he knows who we are and we know his people, so we have the connection. But I don't know if he'd if he'd have time for coming on the podcast. Like he this. might be a bit like Scott Scott Russo, who we've got today, who's a bit like elusive when it comes to like podcasts. I don't know. if might do many podcasts. I don't know actually. I, I haven't seen. One. I can't say I've seen much. <laughs> but um, yeah, we found out from Scott that we were on his, his second podcast that he's done which is mad really yeah that is crazy i mean i feel like i've heard him on he's definitely done the um shane told you know the silverstein guys podcast lead, lead singer syndrome he's definitely done that i think i think he's done mike carreras as well maybe i've definitely heard him on something else but but yeah not many so um yeah it was it was cool we got him we're, so i guess we're jumping around a little bit so we might as well talk about that now talk about today's guest um yeah scott russo of unwritten law which was an exciting one for us because we've both been listening to unwritten law for a long time i think yeah and he was a hard man to pin down actually it was good to actually get it get it going uh, it was touch and go for a while yeah but um yeah yeah very very cool guy oh he's awesome yeah interesting you know the the, the whole uk thing and 
them never really being a big big thing over here. Yeah, but, it's crazy. But I suppose you'll hear about that in terms of where their <laughs> success was and, and yeah. I guess why they were so successful. So, yeah. Um, talking about Mike Carrera, actually. 30, 30 years of MXPX or something I saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and same with uh, mm-hmm. Blink-182 the other day as well. Both bands turned 30, which is nuts this summer. Right. But now I would say MXPX have stayed, been more active and true to their origins all the way through. <laughs> yeah. Working on a new album though as well, right? Are they actually working on a new album? I heard Mike Carrera saying the other day they're going to release a cover song very soon, so watch out for that. But No, no, I think there's an album, an album that's being worked oh, on. Oh, great. Okay, yeah, I suppose the last, the self-titled one, the one that me and you weren't that keen on, but most MXPX fans seem to love. That was four years ago now, so yeah, I guess, guess we're overdue for another one for sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, talking about new stuff, anything? Yeah, anything like about? speaking of, I mentioned Shane Told there. Uh, I see he's a feature on a new anti-flag song called "Laugh, Cry, Smile, Die." Did you hear that? All right, you're like I haven't no, but I, I did know that anti-flag were work, working on a new record. Is that going on? I, the new, I new assume record? it must be ahead of a new record. Yeah, check it out. I, I'm confident you'll like that. Yeah, it's very much in the direction anti-flag has been going with the last. Since they've been on MDDN, really, the last cu- last few years. Um, I was just going to say, I saw, uh, I heard um, Cartel's new track the other day. In, uh, uh, track 17. called Seventeen. Yeah, I yeah. fucking really like that. I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I was, I was, bit, I was a big Cartel guy back in the day. Whereas you, you were, you were never really too bothered, were you? Not really. I, I never loved that Chroma album as much as everyone did. I mean, I liked it. I thought it was a decent album. I love. Um, you know, the lead single, Honesty or Honestly or whatever it's called. I still love that song. I think it's great. But for me, they've never really touched that song. Like they've got that and nothing else has been as good, including everything they've done since and including right. this this new one. Well, I'm not sure. What is that? Is that, is that just a one-off? I don't know if there's a, an album um, follow. Yeah, I haven't heard anything. I haven't heard any plans. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it for for new stuff, really, for me. Cool. Any shows on the radar? Mm. I need to try and get to. Um, I should really make the effort to try and get to this last show next week. Oh, he's playing the Clooney, isn't he? Just yeah, it's just finding the time to fit it in. Like really small venue in in Newcastle. Yeah, yeah. He said he's going to do a, just a bit of a showcase of like his whole career. Yeah, you should, de- you should it definitely feels try like and get it to that. Be, uh, yeah, man. Yeah, like such a legend playing such a small venue. Like, I think it's a bit of a once in a once in a lifetime kind of yeah. opportunity. Is he not playing down my way. Let me look at his tour dates. A few of them are sold out, but Clooney's still got tickets, so definitely going to. Oh try yeah, he's playing London on August twentieth, but I'm away at Darren Stagdo for that. Lafayette. I don't know that venue. Oh, King's Cross. Another small yeah, intimate so. one. To be fair, if it wasn't Darren Stagdo, he'd yeah, probably exactly. be up that's what he should. That's what he should Isn't be he? doing for his Stagdo. Dear idea. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you, try, you should try and make it. Uh, anyway, yeah, should we get on with the show? Because this, I fucking loved this one. I think you did too, so. Yeah, man, let's do it. I think, uh, yeah, let's not waste any more time. No pun intended. Nice one. This is Scott Russo. All right, cool. Well, fellas, here we are. We're doing, we're doing a podcast. Yeah, this thanks so much for being here, man. Thanks for having me. I'm so sorry it took me 10 days and a couple two-day follow-ups, but it's only my second podcast, dog, so the guys are like, it's your second wow. in. Wow, okay. Privilege. Uh, Absolutely. I'm, I'm Absolutely. the privileged one, man. <laughs> so what's up? You're in uh, You're in Tijuana, right? Well, yeah. I, well I know that because you, you, you kindly showed me the view from your balcony, which looks beautiful this morning. It, it is, really. I'm not going to lie. It's ridiculous. You've been there for a while, though. I, I seem to remember an interview where you kind of you were talking about moving there and kind of fell on your feet with your situation. What what, what was the deal with with kind of ending up in Tijuana? Yeah, um, well, you know, I'm born in San Diego, and basically, like, how to put it, like, San Diego and Tijuana are sister cities. So the only thing that separates them is a wall. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of people live in San Diego and work in Mexico, and a lot of people live in Mexico and work in the states. 
and um, born and raised in, in San Diego. I've been here coming in my whole life. My stepmother was from Tijuana as well. She's no longer with us, but uh, it's been a, it's a very much rooted in people from San Diego's culture to be part of Mexico. Especially, you know, you guys get to drink yeah. when you're 18. In the States, we drink when we're 21. So yeah. in San Diego, when you turn 18, you mob across the border with all your friends and everyone gets fucked up and it's kind of a thing. And uh, basically, I was on tour about five years ago with uh, The Offspring. And there's this band called Los Kung Fu Monkeys opening up. And they're from Tijuana. There's us, Offspring, Strung Outs, Los Kung Fu Monkeys. I think Lit might have been on it or some shit. I don't know. Um, and the, the, the Los Kung Fu Monkeys are like, hey, man, we're huge fans. We got this place. I got one of the guitar players, Fedek, has this uh, place in, in Playa Tijuana on the beach if ever you want it. Come take it. And I'm like, yeah, sick. And so one time I took him up after that tour on the offer. I'm like, yo, man, I want to come down to TJ and stay at the beach house. He's like, cool, I'm on tour, but my dad will pick you up at the border, drive you to the house and turn on my apartment. I'm like, sick. Went and did that. Kind of fell in love with this little beach town called Playas that I live in now. And um, we stayed there for like three days and then went home, went on with my life. And like six months later, they asked me to come down and record on their new record. And so I came down and while I was here, staying here for like four days, an apartment opened up in front of his, like on the beach. I'm like, well, that's fucking dope. That's a sick little crib. How much is it? And he's like, yo, it's 800 bucks a month. I'm like, bro, like you can't get a room for like $1,500 in the ghetto in, in the States. Sure, so sure. I'm like, it's wild, man. I'll take it just to have it, you know, like a beachfront property is an unheard of anywhere really on the West coast of North America or in the States, at least for that matter. And uh, as I'm moving in, like on the, we were moving in during the weekends, taking my stuff down from, I was living in LA at the time, taking my stuff down from LA. And on the third weekend, we we're moving in, like we, we had a late one and we were unpacking bags. And the guy came over the next morning. He's like, Hey man, here's your money back. You got to go. <laughs> you're too loud. We're just worried you're going to be too loud. I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. And as oh, I, and I, while I was moving into this place, while I was moving this place directly next door, I kept looking at this place that I'm living in now. I'm like, this place is way doper. It has a palapa, which is like a big hut for like barbecues and shit. And it has a jacuzzi and barbecues and its own beach access and a gym and all these great amenities and whatever. And so I come over here. Like I just, I was really fucking pissed at this guy. Cause I just moved all my shit across the border. And that's really a, a feat in itself. It's like to get your shit across the border because right. you have to pay taxes right. and weird shit. But we had, we did some gangster shit. It was wild. And um, got it down here uh, and started moving it all in. Mind you, you have to take the U-Haul back. And so you don't have any more big trucks or anything. Guy gave me money. I was really pissed. Walked next door. I'm like, hey, do you guys got anything for a reference? And it's like, you know, where are you coming from? Like LA. <laughs> like just made up some shit. I'm coming from next door. Um, and and my like, he's like, no, nah, we don't have any um, any one or two bedrooms, but we've got a penthouse. I'm like, I want to see that. And literally walked me in this front door and I walked in and I looked at the view of the ocean and it's three floors and I'm like, I'll take it. He's like, well, there's, there's two more floors. You want to see him? Like, yeah, we can see him, but I'm going to take it. <laughs> Anyways, literally like gave him the money the dude just gave me. Here, don't show it to anyone else. I'll, I'll cross and get some more money, whatever the fuck ever. Words with words. Literally like went next door and like to not freak the dude out because they're side by side. Like took all my shit out of the house and my friend's trucks and went around the block and came around this way. <laughs> like we were moving in and moved my shit in. Yeah, now I've been here for four years and I guess that's my Mexico story. Whatever. Nice. Nice, man. So, in fact, I was going to say before, um, I'm, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but like, it feels weird. Cause like, we like at the start of the call, we were all like, oh, oh, it's good to meet you, man. And all of that. But, um, you have, you've met both of us before it was, um, do you remember when you and, uh, Chris Lewis came over? I think, I think the deal was that you came over for some guy's wedding to London and then you had like a day off. So you, you played like an acoustic set in. Yeah. Yeah. My daughter Camden. came. Yeah. I fully remember That's that. It. Yeah. Yeah. We met your daughter as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was it was uh, a very fun night, and I think we all we definitely all put a few beers away. Um, oh, yeah. Got messy towards the end, but uh, That's yeah. So that that was that was the time that we did meet you in person. I do remember like a flash of later that evening of Chris and I like laying on the concrete. <laughs> it's like literally like in front of our, and we we're like, what? Are, we were like the fucking like, the hotel is right there. We can make it. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and he's laying on the concrete. <laughs> Well, fuck it, I'm going to lay down, too. <laughs> so they're laying down and laugh about how we're in London and they're on the ground. And 
that's how that night ended for us. <clears throat> it was it was a really cool gig, really like a tiny little basement acoustic gig. Seeing you guys in that format was um, yeah, it was was very cool. Yeah, I, I guess when, I remember when Kalen was there. I like sort of playing the song, and I it, this this is the same night. I literally started crying when I'm playing like the song because I hadn't seen her. She was like living in London at the time. It was yeah. a really good, really lovely moment. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a nice surprise. But good to see you guys again. I missed y'all. Yeah. yeah. Um, obviously, we want to kind of talk about the home and how that came about, and um, you know, re- impending release. But um, I guess what we usually do these things is a bit of a walk through. Um, kind of your career i appreciate it's been a fucking long one so when we haven't got probably all night but um kind of wanted to just kind of touch on a few kind of key moments throughout your career before we get into the bit of, bit of the um the latest release that's that's coming on friday sure. um and ju- I, I guess right back to the start going back to your, your, your real young years at, at what point did you kind of realize that that music was going to kind of shape the, you know, your career and your life. And um, I guess what, what, what helped shape that and what were your influences kind of that, that steered you into that, that, that life, I guess. Into music. Yeah. Well, you know what, quite honestly is I'm a, I'm a skateboarding fan. Skateboarding's always been like my first love to this day. I'm almost 50 years old and I still skate parks, which is a horrible right. idea when you're a musician because you're I'm <laughs> old and fragile now and, I can't risk like when I'm on tour, they won't let me skate. So I need my wrist and shit. But um, I was a skateboarder. I got into this band when I was uh, 14 with a guy named Matt Hensley, who was a pro skater for 8th Street. He's now, uh, he plays accordion and flogging Molly. So he was like a best pro skater ever, street skater. He basically invented it. And then um, he became a rock star, which is pretty, pretty fucking ideal. What's up, guys? And, um, and what happened was all I cared about was skateboarding straight up. And I had, I knew how to play piano. My mom put me in piano very early. And uh, this is when like, I think like Operation Ivy had just come out. He's like, yo, you got to hear this band. And I'm really into like, like quite honestly, like English culture. So like, like two-tone ska and all this kind of shit and um, traditional reggae. But <clears throat> so Vespa is like, I would, you know, I was a little fucking, two-tone skinhead when I was like 14 and stuff. I have a P277 downstairs. I ride around fucking Tijuana. It's pretty wild. And um, the, I was really into this culture and he was into punk rock and uh, and an Operation Ivy come out. And he's like, yo, man, we should start a band. Like, yeah, sounds sick. Start a band called The Spy Kids um, because he was Matt Hensley. I was like 14. Uh, we got these, these massive gigs. We opened up for the selector at the Santa Monica Civic Center, which holds like fucking two and a half, three K. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we played with Bad Manners and did all the shit. Um, and I just kind of got my chops for playing music in front of people and then also uh, uh, writing music. And so um, from that band, it broke up inevitably. And when, you know, skateboarding was still the core of my heart or whatever. And um, I was living in this abandoned house. Now is not the time to play Jet. You got you got a feline friend. Yeah, they're my my boys, Flotsam and Jetsam. <laughs> but if, well, one of them plays fetch, and so he won't leave me alone. He keeps he'll bring me cat, all the cats, all the cats. So it's like he's gonna be the whole time. But I do love him. So anyway, so yeah, so what how it happened is I was living in this abandoned house in Poway, and um, and I was about seventeen or eighteen years old. So Spy Kids had broken up when I was about fifteen wasn't really thinking about music or doing anything of that nature. And um, I was still skateboarding full full steam ahead. And I was living in this abandoned house, like four other skaters. And at this time now, I was sponsored by 8th Street and Airwalk and Going and shit. And kind of getting ready to go. 8th Street, the owner of 8th Street ended up dying in a car accident. It was wild. And team broke up. Plan B was started. Little bit, if you know anything about skateboarding, it's kind of a little trip through that. And I was working at a, at a skate shop and mission beach living in an abandoned house in poway and uh the team manager for zorlac at 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 hamels where i worked in in pacific beach is like yo man we'll turn you pro just because we like you and whatever i'm like yeah that's all i all i care about my whole life i want my own model got me the designer started designing my skateboard boom zorlac goes out of business and i'm not quite as i'm like you know skateboarding progresses so fast and i'm like partying and stuff like that so i wasn't 
good enough to like really get back into an amateur circuit or anything like that. So I was kind of past my peak. <clears throat> so I'm living in this house, still skateboarding every day. It's all I care about in Poway and Unwritten Law had come over and they're like a cover band and uh, they don't have a singer. And they came, I'd have these massive parties at my house. And um, it, was, it was wild. Like the doors were fucking nailed shut. Inevitably, this is the blue room. What, what we dubbed the blue room. I'll tell you, I guess that story too. And yeah. so uh, the cops would come and they have to come to the window and people have to exit out the window and shit like that. It was wild. But this house had electricity and running water. So it was sick. Um, and so uh, they played a party one time and I sang Fugazi's waiting room and Wade, the drummer's like, hey man, we need a singer for our band. You want to join? And this is before punk rock had happened and there was no like, hey, I'm going to be a fucking rock star. Or punk's going to be massive. It was like, this is what was kind of cool in our, in our hood at the time. And um, I'm like, I'm just thinking to myself, yeah, I'll sing for your band. They'll be like, you know, basically free drugs and girls. Sounds awesome. We can do this. <laughs> and um, and I did. And they had written the music for like six songs. We're like, hey, here's six of our own original songs. Write some lyrics. And I'm like, cool. Wrote, took me a week. Wrote six songs. Like, here I got them. That's um, we started playing them, and people like really dug it. And Again, this is like, I think we had bad religion this time. There wasn't, no effects might have started. There was no offspring. There was no Pennywise. It was just like, bad religion was it. That was the, the sound that we were hearing from LA. And it was like, fuck, it was really like something special. It was something different, something special. It was melodic, but it was fast and it was aggressive, but it was also intelligent. And it really fucking struck a chord for me. And that's kind of what took me out of my whole ska mod phase. It was bad religion. And then this band was playing these pretty aggressive riffs and I'm writing these kind of melodies, but I'm not really a political writer. I'm more like I write about what I'm into or like family, life, love, loss, whatever the fuck it is, parting. And I did that and people caught on to it. And um, we started playing all these parties in Poway and Rancho Bernardo and Rancho Penasquitas. And then the parties just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And this club called Soma opened in San Diego. They had two stages. They had a dungeon stage and they had an, a main stage and they're like yo if you can if you can get 100 people to, downstairs to say they're here to see you you can play that upstairs the big stage we're like yeah so we we fucking get on a show downstairs and we blow it out like sell it out it's like 300 capacity and they're all you know there to see us and it was wild it's really awesome and you can just feel something happening i guess in punk rock and music in southern california with action sports and that kind of whole thing was just like we didn't know it now but looking back that's what was going on it was about ready to fucking happen and we started, we, you know, we played uh, like one show downstairs and I immediately moved us upstairs and just kind of grew. Next time we played, it was double. Next time we played, it was double. And it just kind of grew really fucking quickly. Yeah. So now I'm 18. I'm playing these, these venues that holds probably like 1,800 people. We're selling out. We're selling fucking. We had made this six song demo and it was like literally on a demo tape. And we fucking sold like 3,000 of them. Something goes like ridiculous in those days. At these, just that shows too. And then, it's, you know, it's like I was just telling a story yesterday is I remember when selling out was like a, a thing. And I was thinking to myself now, it's like, you know, fucking 50. You're like, what, what the fuck was I thinking? So the story is like, you know, Cargo Records came to science. Like, no, you're too big of an independent. We're not going to be we're seeing the red eye. And this other like where it's like, no. And then inevitably, I forget what our first major label was, came down. They were turning down offers. And then it's before Green Day, too. So, uh we got a big, big offer from somebody and I was like, yeah, that's the right amount. I signed my name, we signed our name and the rest is kind of history. I think that was the moment, sorry, longest story ever. That was the moment yeah, I was like, good, you know, huh? there's something like if I can feed myself and play music, that sounds awesome. And um, I guess from there, uh, there was really no other choice. I, to be honest, like this is my, my truth is there was no other choice for me. Like once I, play music and then I could make money from it and people were singing it and like sharing it. And like, it was on mixtapes and fucking all this wild shit and compilations started happening and all this stuff. And, and Nebuly started playing shows. And it was just, um, if you're familiar with the geographical layout of like Southern California, it's like you play San Diego, LA and San Diego, LA and Las Vegas and San Diego, LA, Las Vegas, Arizona. And it's like this little kind of fucking square triangle. You need to do runs. And we kind of just closed out this market and had ourselves like a little market and we were touring. And then all of a sudden the Taylor Steele surf videos came out and they just exploded the, the uh, punk scene into the action sports and like interjected the two things together. 
boom, and then Warp Tour happened. And so it was like these Taylor's massive surf movies that are still like legendary today. <clears throat> Focus, Momentum, all those videos. Um, kind of fueled the fire. And these two things converging at one time, action sports and punk rock, just fucking popped right in front of our face and we happened to be there. And that's when I, I was like, yeah, this is it for me. This is an A and B and this is all I can do. I'm fucking literally no other life skills except for skateboarding. You all know how that's going to go. And um, yeah, I started, I started taking it seriously, I think at that point. And then that's why I started playing guitar and writing songs for Unwritten Locks. At first I was just writing the lyrics and melodies and, you know, they're coming up with, with these, you know, three and four chord progressions and it kind of wasn't it. And so I'm like, hey, teach me how to play guitar. I can play piano, that should be pretty easy. And my guitar player at the time, Rob, I'm going to play guitar with two fingers, two bar chords, you know. So from there, like, oh, I can write anything I want. So <clears throat> I wanted to teach them how to write like more than a three and four chord progression. So I, I wrote CPK is the first song okay. off the Blue Room. Yeah, yeah. First song I'd written for them uh, musically. And basically what I did is I was trying to show them like, you know, it makes things make a bed that's broader for a melody more than three and four chords, you know? And so there was this charter commercial, charter hospital commercial, which is like for a rehab for the United States. And it had this like commercial, like, if you're fucking having problems with drugs, dun, then you should go to our hospital. Dun. I'm like, cool chords. Took them, sped them up, put a chorus on it, modulated it, came back down. And that was CPK. And it was really meant to more as like a, like a, just a, um, a template for them. Mm -hmm. And then I just kind of started writing songs from there. And once I started taking, like, kind of taking over songwriting duties, that's when I really set in that this is, like, oh, I can do, like, I know kind of like not the mathematics of it, but like the way things feel to me in my chest, like going from major to minor and dropping from yeah. full time to half time to make things bounce. And like, I just, I figured out my own combination, I guess. And I've really just never looked back. So I've been writing and producing since like I guess professionally since I was 18. Um, I saw this thing that some kid posted yesterday on my shit. And it was like, yo, Blur, 1993, The Hum. He had both records out, 2022. I'm like, I wrote it back. I'm like, wow, dang, that's 30 years. He's like, dude, fucking whatever, all those things. I'm like, that's wild. So like, yeah, it's been a long time and a lot of curating like different sounds and styles and being a fan and fucking of all these other kind of musics now i mean i i rarely listen to punk rock if at all um now and so it's like yeah it's been a, it's been a long fucking trip i'm not gonna lie yeah i don't know i guess i mean you you talked about um you know bad religion being a big influence but you, you i mean you went on pretty early in your career go on and work with greg graffin right and he produced i was yeah, he produced Oz Factor and like I'm sorry. I was gonna say that must have been pretty mad to like have that have that so early on in your career. Yeah, yeah it's fully like like they were my like literally my religion. So when we got signed to Epic, I think it was I wanna say that was definitely what Oz Factor came out on. Like, mm -hmm. who do you want to produce the record? I'm like, yeah, Greg Raffin. He'd never produced any other records outside of Bad Religion either. So I, I believe to this day, we still might be the only band that he's produced outside of Bad Religion. Oh, wow. I think I'm not, I can't be, can't be held ac accountable for that statement, but I think that's what Wade told me. Wade's fucking, he needs a nap sometimes. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so it's really trippy. I was for real, like, you know, in the beginning, starstruck and, and we moved to Ithaca because he was a professor in New York at a, at a college there. Yeah, so uh, we moved to Ithaca and they put the band in a house and they put me with him because I had Kalen at the time and Kalen and Jody would fly out and come stay with us, or whatever. So I was staying with him and his wife, Greta, at the time. And um, just became really good friends with them. He produced the record. He taught me how to harmonize. And then uh, I came, we did that. It was, yeah, it was a surreal experience, quite, quite honestly, back then. Um, and then I came back and Blink had started happening and they're like, oh, you lived in fucking Greg Rapp and how was it? And you, you know, they didn't know how to harmony. No one, no one knew harmonies for all kids were listening to punk rock. So no one like, you know, you had melody through seven seconds and, you know, misfits and bad brains and stuff, but you didn't, we didn't have harmonies and Greg Rapp had held all that fucking knowledge. Right. And so if you listen to the second Blink record, Dude Ranch, like I'm singing on three of the songs, but all you can hear the harmonies in there. They're like me trying to reproduce what Greg Graffin had taught me, you know, like, and 
well, my girlfriend likes you well in DHC. That's yeah, under long dance hall crashers. Yeah, but if yeah, you hear yeah. the harmonies in the back, that's not Mark or Tom, that's me. And so I'd went down to uh, Big Fish, I believe this is where we recorded that in San Diego and helped help them learn how harmonies, whatever I just learned from Greg Graffin. Yeah, it's wild. That's, that's, that's it, right. turns out, it turns out they'd be the fucking Beatles, who knew? <laughs> no. and, and presumably, you, I mean, you, you'd known them a number of years at that point already. I mean, obviously you mentioned Cargo Records, which they were on in the early days, but yeah, yeah. I guess... You were coming out of San Diego playing Soma what around the same time as, as they started out, presumably, were you? Yeah, yeah. Well, we came we came up first. It came out a few years after us. Oh, okay, um, okay. Um, and so yeah, so they would open up for us. They were just blink at the time, as you guys obviously know. Yeah. Um, but they were just they were making this this sound, which was like Tom held these like arpeggiated riffs, and then Mark would move underneath them, which I found he, you know, Tom told me he got it from a band called Tilt Will obviously tom perfected it and created his own style which i believe is yeah. a lot like slayer but in major major notes like if you listen to slayer and listen to blink they're kind of similar dude but one of them's in fucking minors and sevens and one of them's in majors but um and they're fucking funny as shit and all that shit's legit they're really fucking funny um and they just they just fucking blew up right in front of us it was it was insane it was wild to watch and you know good for them they deserved it yeah, and you ended up doing a hell of a lot of touring with them as well in the following you know years that followed as well, right? Uh, we toured everywhere with them because we were managed by the same manager, so we yeah. went everywhere together. Cool. Um, so I guess fast forward a little bit uh, to Elva. Obviously, Elva went went on to kind of be one of the, you know the band's biggest biggest releases. Uh, I, I mean, was that was the writing and the build up to that any different? Um, you know, the way you approached it, and I guess. When you were starting to put it together, did you kind of know that, right, well, this is this is going to take us on to that next level? Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. I, I want to say by Elva, we really released, Elva's the third record, right-ish? Third-ish. Oz Factor and, yeah. Oz Factor and Blue Room came up for that. So, go ahead. Yeah, if we don't count the Blue Room, because there was the, the one with Harmonica at the start after Oz Factor as well, wasn't there? Oh, so the Black Record. Okay, so the Black yeah, Record. Black yeah, Record, so. yeah. Okay, so it goes those three. So yeah, so with the black record, we had our first top twenty single with Kalen, which is kind of its own weird mm-hmm. story there too. Um, like we'd written this record. I want to say we're on Interscope with the black record. We're, we've been on every label, fucking slutty as shit. Um, and uh, and we had written the record in our A and R's. Like I don't hear a single. Do you got any more songs? I'm like. Yeah, I got a couple songs, played him songs, like, no, nah, it's not it, it's not it. I'm like, he's like, you got anything else? I'm like, well, I wrote the song for my daughter, but it was nothing like Unwritten Law ever played before. It was, you know, it was just a gift for Kaylin. Had a sing to her. And, um, and then I played it for me. He's like, that's it. That's going on the record. I'm like, there's no way my band's going to play that fucking song. <laughs> like, it's a love song, you know, we're a rock, punk rock band to be like that. Punk rock party band is like, yeah, well, they're going to record it. Recorded it, ended up doing very well for us. That kind of gave me the taste of, like, some kind of, success-ish and also now we've released three records that are like going now you have fat records and epitaph and all these bands are kind of sounding similar to to a certain degree and so when elva came it was like i didn't want to do that over and over again and i remember writing that more or less just kind of mad at punk rock for not kind of being punk rock or something like that and so i started writing songs really for writing songs like deeply trying to figure out my craft or whatever. So I wasn't too concerned with like making that one, two beat. And I wanted to make real songs and I wanted to drop into heavier tuning. And I wanted to be like, quite honestly, heavier, just, just something different. Yeah. Um, and so that was more, I, I wasn't, it wasn't like methodical to get bigger. It was definitely methodical to get a way to separate unwritten law from the pack. I can, I can say that. Um, and so it, and you can't fucking like, I would have never picked seeing red as a single. Um, but thank God that Tom Wally, the president of Interscope at the time did because it went, it went number one here in the States and, and, uh, and yeah. So like for me, that was like a, an unconventional song. It goes verse, chorus, verse, chorus, excuse me, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, only two courses, three verses. And most pop songs are written, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, chorus. 
And I was like, that doesn't have an exit cord. What are you talking about? It's like, this is the hit. I'm like, fuck it. You know, you're the president. Go. And thank God he did. And that ended up kind of really putting us on the map, getting us on MTV, getting us in movies and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, again, it wasn't methodical to try to get bigger or fucking make money or anything. It was just trying to separate ourselves from the pack of what was going on in Southern California with the punk rock scene. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously you would have picked up new fans from doing that and some fans would have come with you, but did you, was there a bit of a backlash like from some of the fan base from just because you weren't doing skate punk anymore? I only asked that because I just think, I think about some of my friends from San Diego who are a bit older than me and stuff. Whenever I talk about unwritten law, some of them can be like, oh, I like, I like the Blue Room and Oz Factor, but you know, they, they yeah, just yeah. can't handle the change of sound. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, for sure, we definitely felt that um 100% and i think that did kind of looking back kind of affect me i'm like really like you don't this is punk rock like what y'all are doing is microwave like you're there's nothing there's no punk there's nothing about it that's punk and so it did it did hurt me uh personally but it didn't slow me down i guess for some kind of kind of perpetuated my kind of like fuck you fuck you really like i'm so, like i'm not selling out i'm just fucking trying to do something anything that's outside the box which to me is punk rock and um and for the next record uh here's the morning when even deeper dropped to d and fucking started making making helmet style riffs with melodies over them you know and doing weird shit like that and so um yes we yes we caught some backlash yes it affected me personally and mentally but yes it just perpetuated basically my punk rock spirit and it's like fuck you i'm now I'm really going to make music for myself. And this is not about you or this um, genre of music. This isn't for you. This is for me. And so basically for my kids, like I'm, when I write songs, I got to tell you that. And it's whether it's with this band or with my side projects or with something I'm producing, like when I fuck with something, my first, my first and an, an initial like fucking kind of uh, inspiration to doing it is to impress or to like not embarrass my children, to impress my kids. Like if they, they're stoked the daddy's like fucking if they're stoked on some daddy shit then i know it's fly and they'll be honest with me i'm like you know a lot of people a lot of people will just tell you what you want to hear oh that's fucking great or oh, it's this and they'll be like oh it's kind of you know whack you know tell me so when i create songs it's more or less to get an approval from them and then i know it's it's going to be at least soulful and not bullshit you know or something like that it's hard to put in words no it's cool though because like you know, you could have just spent the last 30 years just writing songs in that style, like skate punk, like some bands have done, not to not to talk down on them, but like... No, no, of course, you know, of course. You, it you crafted yourself as a songwriter and, you know, I, I yeah. think, uh, you know, your, be your best stuff came from, you know, after you made that change, personally. Thank you. Yeah, you know, um, it was the only, it was like the only, just like the only logical decision instead of, you know, and... I'm very thankful for where, I, for, for where I came from, from the punk rock scene and, and everything. And I, I know that's my roots and, and that's fucking beautiful. That's great. And I, and I always have that. Um, but I think, I think with any, like if you're talking about a real artist, I'm not saying I'm fucking goddamn Picasso or anything like that. But if you're talking about really real artists, it's like they grow and they learn and they fucking take the more life experiences and more influences and, and either consciously or subconsciously and add it to their, whatever it is, if it's painting, your painter or music if you're a musician and so on and so forth and so for me it's it's just it for me it's i feel like every record i i do which is like one every fucking seven years or something like that with <laughs> unwritten at least um it's more like i gotta fuck i have to prove myself again really I have to do this shit again and then i have to go in and okay well this is what's going on now that's what i want to hear this is what i'm into and kind of blend the things together and or make up whatever concoction I do in my head and then try to record it. Most things are written either via MIDI or or fucking uh, on acoustic guitar and then I translate it into unwritten law. And then I can take that very same chord progression or whatever and I can make it into another band here in Mexico called Funeral. And I can make it into this or I can make it in this. So I, I, I do a bit of production now too. So it's like I can kind of uh, manipulate song progressions and all that kind of shit into whatever format of music it needs to fit into and so for the hum if we're inevitably going to get into that um yeah it was like another another moment where like okay you want to write a record you want to do this and and i was like okay fuck well 
God, it's going to be a lot of work. And it was, it was like four and a half years, four and a half years we worked on the hum. Oh, wow. Really? Okay. Uh, yeah. And so with the, with the goddamn world pandemic in the middle of it, that was interesting. So <laughs> at this time we're like, and we started writing and recording it and then the pen, the pandemic hit and fucking, and, uh, and then there was only two of us out in the studio, uh, at, with, with a one, one engineer slash producer and masked up. That was wild. And so we were fucking, we tracked most of that record. Just, it was Chris and I and, and Joe Marlette in, in San Diego, but four and a half, almost five years from initially starting writing to finishing mixing the record. Uh, we've been working on that record and the same kind of thing. It's like, fuck man, if I'm going to release something. I got to make sure my kids aren't embarrassed. So every song is methodical and the sequence is methodical. And like, you know, this record is, is, is very personal to me. Um, I've, I've, I've heard it's more mature. Um, um, it's a, like, it's a, it's a concept record. When you hear it, like we have fucking, we have, you know, changing moons, waxing moon, uh, you know, we have, it has an intro and fucking it, it just drives and drives and drives. And then literally for me, I felt like, okay, you need to give these motherfuckers a break. We'll put in like another moon, the waxing moon and, and let you breathe and fucking go back in for the jugular and fucking pound it out for like three or four more songs and let you breathe and fucking beat you up with four more. And that's kind of the, kind of the gist of it. The parents are pissed, but the kids love it. Not a millimeter here. Hey, go get it. Good boy. Sorry about that. He'll keep clinking that thing until fucking I do something. Um, and also, so the record, I mean, at the time of recording, it's out in a, out in a few days, right? But by the time yeah. this is out, it is out. So listeners, go and go and check it out if you haven't already. I hope yeah, if you're yeah. listening to this, you you certainly would have listened to it. Well, um, what have you got much planned? around the release like have you got many shows booked anything like that Small so we're just doing fast yeah we're not doing anything we're being super selective about exactly how we roll this out like we don't want to sit there on our phones like hey our new record's coming out like i fucking hate that i fucking hate these things man <laughs> and and all that stuff and like hey don't forget tomorrow at noon like all that shit fuck that and so for me, even podcasts and all that kind of stuff, like it's, I've had to take you guys 10, 15 tries to get me on the podcast. I don't know. <laughs> and um, for, for me, it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say anything. I don't like what do I have to fucking say. Like, you know, um, uh, what the fuck was I just talking about? <laughs> uh, shows so the, and tours around. Yeah. Around, around the release. Yeah. So around the release. So what we're doing is we're setting it up like with um, like videos and like today we're, we're literally, it might be outright. The second I just got the final, the final version, like 20 minutes before we had this conversation uh, for beggars, a, a, a lyric video for it. And we dropped ghosted, oh, cool. you know, a week and a half before that with a real yeah. music video. And then before that we had the trailer. And then before that we had the, the teaser for the trailer. So we've been filming yeah. all this like really, really beautiful, con like not content that wouldn't be it like but, but shit um so we want and we do chris and i believe believe this is is is, is, a, is a monumental record for us at, at the very least and so getting to shows and stuff we're only taking like a, like a festival here to, we have on the books right now i think we have like three festivals and and a, a handful of private events but okay um, but we want to wait for the right tour if we're going to go out and we don't, and we kind of want this thing to, to get out in the world. We just want to give birth to it and then let, let it kind of fucking marinate with people as a, as an album, because this isn't just like one or two fucking hopefully good songs. Like it's a, it's a record. You're going to put it on. And when it's done, you know, I'll send it to you right now, but just you know, give it to whoever you want or don't give it to anyone. So the 29th, but, um, this record is fucking is deep um and it's and it's special and so we wanted we want to wait for it to to come out let it marinate with people um and and then start thinking about where we want to tour it how we want to tour it you know obviously all of us are you know in our 40s um uh all of us except for wade has has have children and so um we don't want to fucking just go out and do the same stupid shit. Cause that'll burn out a band, especially a band at our age. Yeah. Copy link. 
you can share this with Nick too. Um, we don't want to. Um, Sweet. Thanks, man. Yeah, too easy. Just, uh, you know, you give it to anybody and tell them not to give it to anybody until the 29th. Yeah, there you got it. Of course. What? <laughs> What's that? Excuse me. Oh, I just said, sweet. Did you did you text it or did you email it to me? I just texted you straight up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just got it. Awesome, man. So, look- so when you hear it, like, do the same math. Like, you know, for instance, like, the Ghosted is not the fucking best song on the record by miles. But it was a it was a bridge to, in Chris's words, to to awaken the audience to, to remind people you're still alive, and it's it's a it's a good enough bridge in between old old your old catalog and what is going to be the hum, and so Ghosted was the first okay. single, and then the second one is Beggars and. Beggars isn't the best song on the record either, but again, it still gives you like, what the fuck are these? Like when the chorus comes, it's like builds you up and then fucking right before the chorus comes, it drops to just me and a fucking, you know, me and a guitar. And then the post-chorus comes in and smashes. But um, we want the record to come and then we'll come like the first real single will be The Hum and that'll come out in about two and a half weeks. Okay. Or three weeks. And then the next single will be Magnetic, but those will be the real kind of songs that were are, are meant to, to fucking gather people, I guess. But you guys both have the record. <clears throat> well, you do, and you'll share with Nick. Right, and thank you. And it'll be a it's a, it's a fucking ride, man. And so that's all we want is we want we want this piece of art, because that's what it is, to be received. And then we'll go play it for people that want to see and hear it or whatever, along with obviously you know back catalog stuff. But yeah. the record's very deep. It took a very long time. Everyone's very prolific at their at their craft at this point. You know, Wade's fucking killing it. My brother plays bass. You know, uh, Chris Lewis is from you know Phoenix TX and Pivot yeah, and yeah. Law. He's very very talented. Um, we've all been doing this our whole entire lives. So, you know, it's uh, hopefully it sounds like that. You know, and. I'm very proud of it. I can't wait for it to get out. I just, that's why I don't want to do fucking podcasts and shit until it comes out. So somebody's like, oh man, that shit is fucking wild. I'm like, right? That's why we waited, dude. You know, whatever the fuck ever. <laughs> so, and that's really where I'm at. Like, I'm not trying to fucking shove this shit down your throat. I'm not trying to do this. I just want to give birth to, to what, I, what I believe is a beautiful piece of art. Let it take hold and let it do, do a thing. If it does nothing, that's, that's the fucking, that's the wishes of the universe. And that's cool with me too. But all I know is like if I literally put my fucking heart and soul into something that one out of 15, one of those 15 songs is going to make it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like fucking. So that's what I truly believe. And that's all I really want to do. So as far as touring it, we're, we're only like, we, I only want to, I, I want to be more like a boutique band at this point. Like I don't want to be everywhere. I want to be someone's favorite band again or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't, I don't need to be out there. It's like, I can, I can yeah. be doing fucking, I can be making more music here. You're in a, literally my downstairs music studio, my upstairs as well, but I can be sitting here making music. And that's all I really want to do at my age is just fucking hang out with my cats, drink some coffee and some electrolyte and fucking yeah. make music. And so that's what I'm doing. And until there's a real time for me to leave my goddamn beach house, I'm not going <laughs> to leave. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, dude? So that's where I'm at in my life. And it feels really good. And like, I've, you know, it's been, it's, it's kind of in, in this late in my career, this midlife, whatever it is, it's like, I'm cool with that. I'm not trying to be fucking famous anymore. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to do any of that stuff. I just want to give the planet like my fucking soul. And when I'm gone, it'll be remembered. Like that's really more, that's my, my goal. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to fuck all, but just make some dope art, straight up. That's it. Nice. Well, looking forward to hearing it sooner, sooner than expected as well. So, yeah, well, really yeah. Pre- appreciate yeah, that. Have to wait till Friday. So, yeah, that's very. Yeah. Good. No. What day is it? Monday. Tuesday. 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 Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll see you in the UK at some point again. But obviously, you know, I appreciate you trying to this... put that pressure on yourself. No, 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 no. And that's the thing too. Is like we do want to play shows and we do want to tour. Like 
to get an offer to go to the UK, I will fuck with the UK. I'll fuck with Europe. But like, I don't want to go drag my ass around the fucking United States. I've done it for 30 years. And it's like, yeah, yeah. The coastlines are really lovely. And there's, you know, there's a cool city in Texas. There's a cool city here and there, but it's like, it's a, it's a long fucking lot of, a lot of places. I don't want to necessarily wake up. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. So it's like, <laughs> we call it vacation touring. And so I'm like, Chris, I'll play anywhere. That's, that's dope. And like, you know, <laughs> And that's really where that's really where all of us are at. So until that's something that's really truly magical. That last offspring tour was magical. It was like four great bands, great venues, only great cities, and it was, you know, it was like a total of like eight shows or something like that. That's my shit. Not jumping in a tour bus and traveling for two months away from my cats and yeah, Mexico yeah. and all that. Well, you've you've put in your time doing that before. So indeed, yeah, yeah. To do it now. Did you, I mean, do you think those hardcore years kind of have shaped kind of your outlook now, like how hard you kind of did it in the early years? Do you think that's contributed to your, your, your mindset and your outlook to, to where you are now? There's no way it couldn't have, have <laughs> not been, you know what I'm saying? Cause we were, yeah. we were heavy, we were a heavy band. Like we partied heavy and we did heavy shit and we beat each other up literally on stage off stage, beat up other bands, beat up security. Like we were fucking just gnarly, just the gnarliest, worst band, quite honestly, we were terrible. And, um, and yeah. And so for that, like I, I did that. I did all that, all the shit you can think of, like I did twice. And, and I, and I, I that's not my shit anymore. So now like when I tour, like again, like the UK is dope because I want to go have fucking fish and chips or fucking the or the, the, the peas the mushy peas like i want that shit i want an english <laughs> breakfast you know what i'm saying like that's that's why i want to go on tour <laughs> like and so it's it's called vacation touring so i'm like chris if you can put anything on the fucking board that's vacation touring i'm in but unless it's <laughs> anything other than that like i love doing one-offs too i'll go fly and fucking do one show and come back that's yeah. cool with me but jumping in a tour bus for fucking a month or two does not sound <laughs> inviting to me at, at this point you know what i'm saying <laughs> You've got like you bit you built up a huge Australian following, didn't you? You've got a really loyal fan base out there. Kind of when when did that start? And I guess I I guess that was one of your vacation tour list places, right? Indeed. So we, we tend to try to make it there once every two years at least. Um, so that started basically like what I said is like those surf videos really changed the landscape for everything in punk rock. So for bands like us and Blink, Offspring, Pennywise, Bad Religion. They were all in these videos. We could, once these videos happened, we could go tour any surf location, basically. So you had Hawaii, you had Japan, you had, you know, east coast of, of you know, Florida, the Carolinas of, of the United States, and you had the west coast, obviously. And so we could go tour any of these places. And so, because the surf videos were so impactful and so much a part of people's lives, truly yeah. and deeply. And it wasn't just the surfing was incredible. And the, it was a new style, Taylor Seals, new style of surf, filming surfing, but the music that accompanied it and so it was wild like during like it was like 96 or 98 somewhere around there it's like we we took our first tour to australia and that was the tribute that quite honestly was one of the trippiest moments of my life ever to go all the way across the other side of the planet and when we got there people were like waiting at the airports it's fucking we're like what the fuck and when we go on stage people are genuinely freaking out and when we started singing they were singing back louder than then we were both playing through the PA. It was fucking wild. It was like, <laughs> what the fuck is going on here? And I can, I, I had, I had in, in hindsight with a bit of thought behind it, I can only uh, give it, I can only give it to those fucking surf videos. That's why Australia latched on and we were very accommodating to them. They know how much we love them. So I think that kind of the love, bond, love and bond was reciprocated and it was genuine. Um, and so that's why I guess Australia's been so good to us for fucking third, like almost thirty years now. Speaking of the UK show, um, have you been over to the UK that much through your career? Like, so, like, so you know, I've been listening to you since about two thousand and one, and I've I haven't been aware of you guys being over here that much, apart from like just that one random show. And I feel like when I talk to people who are into this kind of music and stuff, there's a bit of a gap with unwritten law with people in the UK, which is weird to me because you know you've always been a huge band on, on, on my radar. I appreciate that. And you know, what's kind of fucked as I was telling you earlier is that like, I grew up like everything UK, like fucking Fred Harry and fucking and, and docs and fucking 
and straps and fucking like everything mod and ska like fucking you know like since i was like 14 and i always wanted the uk i always wanted the uk and it just i don't know why it, i don't i don't understand how the music our genre i guess but i, I again i as i self-admittedly fucking stepped away from that um didn't happen there but i know we have fans there uh, we just never found a promoter to bring us there, I guess. Um, you know, we okay. did go there. Uh, we, we we did go there once. I think we played Reading Festival once on a side stage, but it's only because we were part of the Warp Tour. And the one year right. the Warp Tour joined forces and it was on a different stage and all that. Yeah, well, it was that late, very late 90s, presumably, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So we did that one show there. And I want to say that's the only time. No, it's not true. So we did that show, and then we also played the Brixton Academy with No Doubt. Okay. So we were on the nice. we, we were on the um, I don't think that was that was a Return to Saturn tour. So yeah, so we've played there twice, I believe, as a band, but that's it. But the UK, Chris is a huge UK fan, and his other bands do pretty well there. Phoenix TX does really well there, and yeah, whatever. Yeah. And so like they get on Slam Dunk and they get on all these festivals, and they just. They just never invited us, like literally ever. So that is on the board is one of the places that we want to really try to tackle with the hum is the UK. Like I want the fucking UK, I want Europe. I want to I want to go over there. So that's definitely like one of the one of the goals for this record. But again, we just need it to we just need it to fucking get out there and then we can go from there. But I don't want to go there without like and you know, Unwritten Laws made this 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 mistake. Well, virtually every single record is we'll go tour right before the record comes out to reawaken the audience and the record will come out and then we'll never go follow it up. And right. so okay. that's why this time, like I really want the record to come out a fucking cess the scenario and then attack accordingly. You know what I'm saying? And so that's really one of the things and things are a lot more methodical and it's a lot more of a, of an adult machine now. Um, Unwritten law is. And so like we, everything's well thought through and, and planned really where shit was just kind of let's do this for this reason this and oh we can get out there oh we get to go on tour you know whatever and it's like that's not my shit anymore my shit now is methodical and trying to make sure you know we do shit for the right reasons i guess nice fish and chips is one of them yeah man yeah (laughs) i mean that feels like a pretty good place to wrap up i guess really um chris i don't know if you've got got anything else you want to no i think i mean that covers like the main the main stuff we wanted to wanted to talk about and um yeah man we just we just appreciate you being here this is this Thanks. is a cool one for us because we're, we're both longtime fans of yours so it's uh because i seem to remember nick that that london thing i think you came down you arranged your work trip to be in london so you could be at that show it did yeah um, it was it was a really special night for for us wasn't it especially you know given we yeah. weren't those opportunities in the uk um over the years when we exactly. had been listening to stuff and the, to to experience it at such a like an intimate kind of level was 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 a very 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 cool night. It's very special for us too. Thanks for coming down from I guess a bit of a distance. So that's obviously appreciated. I know how that goes. That's fucking awesome. Thank you. Fuck! I want you guys to hear the record and hit me back. <laughs> I want to see how see how's reviewed. Hit me yeah, up, man. Yeah. I could I could make it work. Um, thanks so much for sending that though. I'm, uh, yeah, yeah, of course. Thanks for I'm listening. I'm excited. I'm excited. Let's go on it. Dude, it's something. It's something, man. <laughs> nice one, right, Scott? Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, we'll get back to you once we've once we've uh, digested this record and let you know what we think. That's what's up, man. Big love. Thank you, guys. Nice one. Yeah, appreciate day. you being here, buddy. All right, cheers, cheers buddy. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any, anywhere like that. Um, also check us out on social media if you, if you just search for Wasting Time Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook give us a like or a follow on any of those and also we love hearing from listeners as well so um, feel free anytime to drop us an email at the wasting time podcast at gmail.com or obviously you can message us on social media as well but um, yeah we'll catch you next time for you to arrive and I can't wait for you to arrive and we'll see